So today's episode with Kai, Kai, this is definitely gonna be a multi-part series. Kai is like an incredible friend of mine, um, a coach that brought me through like some really, really dark times and really helped pave the path for the direction I wanted to go. So Kai, can you give me the story of how you came into the work that you do now. You coach for an organization called Man on Fire. You have Pathway to Power is your personal brand. And you want to build a minimum $40 million retreat center in Lake Arrowhead to do the world's most miraculous healings and biohacking and all the great stuff of helping people kind of optimize who they are. Tell me, like, when did this all begin for you? Oh man, there's so many ways to drop in. First of all, I'm really grateful to be here with you. I just, I see your heart. You have the most amazing heart, uh, the most brilliant mind, and you just see the best in people. And I really appreciate you. So, uh, well, I, I mean, one one possible answer to the story of how did I get into this work, if we go far out, is um, I was born in 1975, and there was this actress when I was probably somewhere between eight and 10 years old. Her name was Shirley MacLaine. And she was really into new age spiritual stuff. And they made a, a TV show uh, based on a story uh, that I believe she wrote. And it was about this Hollywood actress who got diagnosed with cancer and did all these alternative modalities to heal herself. And this was a big deal. Like sometime in the eighties, this, 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 was a big show. And I can remember in being in my parents' bedroom, they had like that, the, they had like a hole in the wall because the TV, you know, was like three feet thick and it's the old, you know, not flat screen days. And I was watching this and the actress, the main character drove out to Topanga Canyon and met this Asian guy and out in his like little gazebo in his property, he gave her acupuncture, did moxibustion. And I just remember, even as a little kid saying, that's fucking cool. That's really cool. Like, that makes sense to me. Somehow, in my little eight-year-old mind, it made sense. And I remember asking, because uh, the, the series played again and again, as reruns do, when it came on through, throughout the next couple of years, I would ask my mom or my dad, hey, is that real? And they would say, well, we don't know, probably not. And, but there was like a knowing inside me. There was like a, so that was like, that was one time early on that I knew. Uh, but to fast forward, uh, I was graduated from college, I was working as a wilderness therapist with with troubled youth. Uh, and oh, man, I, I would drive this one uh, young man who was a good he'd become a friend of mine, this guy in the program. And he was going for uh, substance abuse counseling. So I'd have to drive him from our remote wilderness location out to a city where he would have his substance abuse counseling and the whole way down the 40 minute drive the whole way back he's complaining i don't want to go to this it's bs you know and one night he came out of the class i would just sit at a local coffee shop and study and read or whatever and he comes out and he is so calm he is so relaxed 
And my first thought was he must have some somehow in between dropping him off, picking him up, he must have gotten access to cannabis or something like I, I, I that was my assumption. And I said, I said, what happened? And he said, Oh, man, tonight was awesome. And I said, well, tell me about it. And he goes, and we're driving back. He's calm. He's focused. He said that uh, someone came and they put little needles in his ear and they played music. And he said he had kind of an altered consciousness experience. And he was all in on his substance abuse counseling after that. And I just realized with even with everything we were doing at that school, breath work, hiking, wilderness, you know, wilderness, group, group counseling, all of that just having needles stuck in his ear in this person who was completely resistant, immediate physiological shift. And I think it's probably around that time that I decided I would, I was going to move to China. And then in the year 2000, I moved to China and I spent, I spent seven years, five in the mainland, two in Taiwan. Um, and that's really the origin of, of it for me. It was just being in the heat, be, working with at-risk youth and just seeing the impact uh, of needles of, of, of Chinese medicine of Taoist alchemy. Um, and that's the tradition I most deeply resonate with. So. Wow. So that was the moment where your eight-year-old self was like, it's real. Exactly. I just I don't, saw I don't think it. I connected it, but I was, yeah. Yep. Yep. Beautiful. That gave me permission. Yeah. So I've got one rapid fire question for you. And then one deeper question. The rapid fire question is having, you said seven years in China, five years on the mainland, two years in Taiwan, is Taiwan part of China? <laughs> oh man. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to say, no, it's not. Okay. It's not. And then my real question for you is you said when you were eight years old, you had this like deep knowing that you were so drawn to that work, which obviously now looking at your life, you're like, you've, you are such a master and such a practitioner at so many of these techniques that that actress probably used, right? And back then you you just, you like immediately knew and you connected that, you know, the dots backwards, of course. What questions or what do you recommend people do if they're listening to this and they're like, what's that deep knowing for me? Like, how do I trace back and figure out like, what are the things that just feel so right for my soul? what could people ask themselves? Or is there a book or a particular set of exercises that you'd recommend people do if they want to yeah. dig deeper into that for themselves? So, you know, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna stand on the shoulders of the people that I believe are, are, you know, my most epic mentors living or dead. So Joseph Campbell, the, uh, the, the academic who wrote uh the hero with a hundred faces or it might be a thousand faces however many faces the hero has he was who sat with george lucas and caused george lucas to completely rewrite the script for star wars and one of the things that joseph campbell talked about when he was alive is that we all deserve to have a bliss station so if if so i'm speaking to the person who your work, your relationship, your life is not where you want it right now. And you know, there's something out of alignment, there's pain or contrast growing from that. One of the first steps you can take is find the time every day, whether it's 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, maybe once a week, 90 minutes, and do something that absolutely lights you up. And that will start to if you do that every day, it's like putting a deposit in a bank account, and you may not be able to see right now how you're going to go from where you are to where you want to be or how that gift is going to help you make money. But if you, if you light yourself up, that heart-brain coherence, 
and you find a way every day to do a little bit of that bliss station, it will eventually pull you onto the path uh, that, that you're supposed to be on. Um, I also do this process with my clients called the archaeology of the hero's journey, mm. which is where I have someone go back through their life and determine the, you know, the five to 10 initiations that life has given them. So for me, my brother was diagnosed with a terminal illness. He came to live in China with me. That was a huge initiation, you know, going to Chinese medicine school and, and hating it and having to leave uh, twice, at, at least twice, maybe three times, take a semester off, go back to China, get re-inspired, come back. Um, you know, I was born premature, two, two and a half pounds. I was three months premature. One of my lungs wasn't open. So I had these experiences in my life that I can look back on now and see how they were preparing me for the man that I am now. And most of us are unconscious in that relationship. So you can do this process where we, we try to, we find the gems and the jewels of each person's hero's journey just by mapping it out. Like what are the six to 10 things that you would consider your biggest life challenges or victories? And then there's a series of questions that I walk people through to get the the value and the wisdom out of that. And then often we turn that into someone's coaching or into their company's vision statement, because there's a relationship. It's not mm. in this paradigm, nothing happens by accident. Yes. Wow. Okay. So I've got a, a question to pull back up and then I want to come back to this, but the question is when you say like spend 30, 60, 90 minutes, at least once a week doing something that lights you up, can we define lighting you up? Like what is that experience? So for instance, maybe give me an example in your own life. Like what is the 90 minute thing that you could do? And what do you, what's the feeling of like lighting you up? What's the, how can we kind of yeah. optimize that? Well, we can borrow, we can borrow from flow state research and training, which, you know, in the last 10 years has become somewhat objectified in that we can measure the neurotransmitters, the brainwave state of flow. And, you know, the Navy SEALs, uh, you know, big companies like Apple. But regardless, we come back to what's called deep play. Deep play. So whatever that activity is that lights you up, you would do it regardless of the outcome. It's not a, it's not a transaction to get from one place to another. Um, so it could be surfing. It could be for me, one, one of mine that I, I, I have not done in, in, a, in a long time and I need to get back to it is taking my dogs on, on a hike in these beautiful mountains that I live in. And then when we get to the sp spot where they're free to run, that's my time to meditate and do my, my personal mind body practice in this beautiful nature. Um, that's one. Um, uh, yeah, so, so basically it's something that you love to do regardless of an outcome, not attached to an outcome. Would, so would it be fair to say that doing this show is part of that for me? Because there's no, there's no necessarily, like I'm not measuring anything, Yeah, right? People I, are always I, like, how do you promote it? And I'm like, I, I don't really. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I do, I think that if we were to dive deeper into your personality, like part of what energizes you is being around epic people learning from them, pulling their, pulling their gems out of them, but also just loving them back. So I think for you, interaction with people, which is why you're so good at so many things, including, you know, being a mentor to kids and, uh, you know, all the things that you do. So it's absolutely energizing for you. I would say 
it's valuable to have a bliss station that doesn't depend on another person. It's valuable to have a bliss station. And then, you know, to, 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 to generate more value too. part of the pinnacle of the, of, of my knowledge and understanding and my personal experience is this, this type of workout that we did a little bit of in Jackson hole that I've called spiritual Spartan. It probably deserves a better name than that, but where we go from these yoga, like fascial stretches uh, into high intensity interval training, both of those creating massive endorphins and emotional movement. Then we go into, into mind body Qigong practice where we're clearing cortisol and we're circulating the blood into the open channels where it's never been before. All of that individual in separately from our intention, as long as we do the technique, right, we're going to start to feel high and open and emotionally available. And there's going to be pleasure and then we end that with breath work and tuning into our vision. I would do that workout every day without any, no discipline needed. It feels good. It, it, it could take 90 minutes. It could take 15 minutes. You could do the modules of it. So I think for a lot of people exercise, you know, and, and that's where things like stand up paddle boarding or swimming or ultimate Frisbee have a, a leg up on going to the gym because there's human connection there that you not really care about winning. It's just about the process and, and you're getting cardio and, and all those things. So, so I mean, that, that's kind of the direction of it. And that if you wanted to Google that, uh, you know, the word deep play has been written about as the, one of the most regenerative activities that we can do. I think it's very similar to the bliss station. Wow. That's yeah. what are other things that you, <clears throat> that you personally do for deep play. So you take your dogs on long walks and then you do that meditation in nature. What are some of the other things for you? I mean, yeah, I, and you also just described that spiritual Spartan workout. Yes. I, I love learning. I love learning. So an example would be, there's a fairly intense hike up to the saddle here, another 2000 feet up. Um, and it could take anywhere from an hour to three hours, depending on your pace. And one of the things that I've done before with one of my, my dear brothers, incredible body worker, healer, acupuncturist, is we would pick a, a, book, a book on tape, on Audible, and we would start at exactly the same time. This was before they had the, the headphone sharing deal that Apple has now. And we would hike and any, any one of us at any point could say, stop, one, two, three, pause. And we would talk about it while we're hiking, while we're out of breath, while we're in the 180 minus our age cardio range in nature and just learning the dopamine from learning with all that forest bathing out there, huge. But I also think I'm a little bit like you in that, you know, the workshop that I taught two weeks ago where I got to be fully in my gift that's that was that's heaven for me i'm making an impact i'm seeing my work land in people i'm getting to go through the same movements that i'm training them in so in a way i know my my strategy long term is to make my my service more and more like that weekend was and we just want to see the numbers on the back end going up both impact and income from it but teaching is one of my favorite things to do mm. okay let me give you an opportunity is there something short and beautiful and any experience you'd like to give the listeners right now. So for people that listen to this and watch this, is there something you'd like to teach or uh, some something you'd like to guide here? 
Well, at, at it, we for certain at some point on this uh, in our conversation, we could do some MBA breath work. I think if I, uh, you shared a little piece as we were getting ready for our call today. Um, I heard this before as something called the last lecture. And periodically at the school, at the college I went to, um, they do this at bigger schools even more frequently. They would take one of the most popular professors in the school, the people who, people from other majors try to crowd into the class because they were just such a charismatic, epic person. And they would say, you know, imagine that you're going to die tomorrow and we've gathered together the whole faculty and student body. What would your last lecture be about? And um, so, so anyway, I love that question. I think for me, I would teach mind body alignment breath work because I think it's probably, it's one of the best, most effective tools to give yourself back to yourself, no matter how much chaos is around you. And then it has a host of other benefits from the neuroscience and vagal tone and all that good stuff. But I mean, it just feels good. Um, that's one. And then I think if I was going to teach something else, it would be the Taoist alchemy approach to wealth uh, and finding your purpose, because we're already kind of on that topic. And, and that that's a beautiful teaching as well. So let's go. What is what is that teaching? That okay. sounds incredible. So, so uh, you know, I was working for a company taking young adults and college students from Ivy League schools to China on these adventure trips. And the company had a curriculum of what we called applied Buddhism. If we took all the religious and cultural uh, biases out of Buddhism, what's at the core? And we, we know, many, maybe your listeners know, there's a school in Boulder called Naropa and but like the basic tenets of Buddhism work great as a system of therapy and psychology. They're freaking awesome. They're a technology. And I was tasked over the three, three years that I worked to develop a curriculum for applied Taoism. And I love those kind of challenges to like absorb and embody and then transmit. That's my favorite thing, you know? And what, as I look, as I started to read through the text, as I worked with my living mentors who I was studying Tai Chi and Qigong with, I, I, I had a revelation that, that, that there is a, uh, this kind of medicine wheel. And in the middle of this medicine wheel is you living your best life, you thriving, you healthy, abundant, joyful, having impact, having significance, variety, all the human needs being met, you in your sweet spot, right? And there are these four pillars that show up through all the different uh, ages and chapters of Taoist practice and even in the medicine that lead to that center spot. So let's see if I can pull them out of memory off the top of my head. So the first concept is Wu Wei. Skip, have you heard of this one before? How would you define that one? I, I don't know it well enough to define it, but um, is this I, my one interjection there? Is this also uh, related and tangential to the idea of Ikigai? Uh, it, it, I, I think if we talked about it long enough, we could find it. Yeah. Beautiful. So, so yeah, how would you describe Wu Wei? So Wu Wei, Wu means uh, nothing and Wei means effort or position. So traditionally, Wu Wei is translated as effortless action. However, in the text where it came from, it's, it's never used 
as two characters. It's three characters. And those three characters are way woo-way. So what that really means is use effort to obtain non-effort. So this is one principle that leads to the happy life. Just like you leading the mastermind in Jackson Hole, you having this conversation, there's a degree of you don't want to be anywhere else. This is not a drudgery for you. It doesn't mean there isn't hours of effort and skill and discipline that went into everything that you do to show up as an interviewer and as a human. But the bottom line is where you're at now, that effort has gotten you to a place where you get to sit and talk to epic people and create value. Fuck, that's awesome. So you've that part's nailed, Wu Wei. So the next part is Le Guan. Le Guan. Uh, Le means happy and Guan means observation. So we, if we really took it out of the, and just translate it like the way Tarzan would speak English, which is my favorite way to translate Chinese because you connect to the primal essence of it rather than translating it into our Western words, something gets lost sometimes. So they might translate it as optimism, but literally it means happy observation. And Luguan, an example of Luguan is, you know, just people that are able to maintain a positive attitude, like the positive psychology school at Harvard, the happiness advantage. People who are happy authentically are 30 to 40% more effective than people who are negative, neutral, or stressed. It's, it's a regenerative emotion. And I have a story that goes with each of these because as I was teaching college students, it, it helps to tell stories. And I remember being in this 10-day meditation retreat in Taiwan, in the center of the island. And when you get there, you have to take off your worldly clothes and put on the clothes of a monk, very simple, one color uniform. And as I was checking in, uh, there were some very wealthy businessmen checking in and you could see that they did not want to be there. And I don't, I don't know the circumstances of what, why they were at this 10 day retreat. It's a free retreat. It's by donation. You can only pay it forward. There's no cost. And it's, it's intense. It's like 10 hours a day of seated meditation. These are available in the States. They're called Vipassana, um, uh, insight meditation. Anyway, uh, during this meditation, they will literally pull you out of your room to put you in the meditation room. And you only get these short breaks where you could walk around. And at this location, there was a little bridge over a stream. And this man who had been in a very expensive suit, very entitled, very uh, upset, somewhere around the fourth or fifth day of the event, as I'm walking across the, the bridge, I look down and he's, he's climbed down on the side of the stream and he's on the ground and he's just, he's looking at some insect and he's just like, I love you. Oh, just, and you could just see the childlike innocence had returned to him. And so this idea of, of, of happy observation is cultivating an attitude of optimism, but it relates directly to the, to the next part of the, of our, of our four-pointed uh, medicine wheel, which is Daofa, the Taoist methods, which are meditation, fasting, um, stretching, you know, therapeutic exercise, herbs, taking herbs, getting acupuncture. These are the Taoist methods. And when you practice the Taoist methods, you often enter that state of Luguan spontaneously, that optimism, that happy observation. It's not a nihilist 
type of meditation in Taoism where you're just trying to get to nothingness. It's like you're trying to bring the energy of joy and, and gratitude into your everyday lens of consciousness. And by the way, this is very sound trauma work because trauma is the opposite. Trauma is where we project vigilance into whatever life experience we're having so, such that no matter how good our life has become, we can't enjoy it because we're waiting for the other shoe to fall. And so this, this practice of the Taoist methods of stretching, opening, breathing, fasting, eating with the seasons, they're all designed so you feel better and you have more capacity. Wow, I, I have a tremendous amount of tangential questions, and I know we're only on the second yeah. of the four that you described. That's three. That's three of them. So we have oh, three. The okay. effortless action, find the most fun way to do the things you do and, and to enjoy it, do what you really love. Even if it's not the main gig, find time to do that. We are going to do, you know, uh, we're going to cultivate the happiness advantage, be optimistic, practice gratitude. Um, and then we're going to practice the Taoist methods, which means we're going to have some, and it doesn't have to be from the Taoist tradition. Do you stretch? Do you breathe? Do you dojo with thrive? You know, all those things are, if we don't take care of our bodies, our bodies will suffer and they'll get our attention through neglect, or we can prehab our bodies for longevity. And then our bodies will give us greater access to joy and, um, yeah. And then the final piece um, is Bao Pudza, embrace simplicity. Embrace simplicity. And what that really means is I think one of the biggest healings I had in fully devoting myself to the tradition of Taoist alchemy is in, in that tradition, the belief is that we are inherently divine. And we are born into an imperfect family, into an imperfect culture, into an imperfect decade. And the layers of what we do to get love and approval are the layers of distortion upon our soul. And so the embracing of simplicity is the peeling of the onion until we get back to the original core of who we are, which is that thing we've been striving to be all along. We're already that. But the work is to return to the simplicity of the original self. So in our modern vernacular, that would be like authenticity, alignment, vulnerability, all those things fit in with the embracing of simplicity. So, wow. yeah. So when you, when you do all that and you take that gift that you have and you give it to the world in a way that has the most impact with the least sacrifice of yourself, you enter into that Taoist sweet spot of life. So. so beautiful. So beautiful. We're going to, I think I'll build the rest of my questions kind of around that. And the first one I have is through your work. And I know, you know, this is one principle that you absolutely love is like Taoism. And you, you spent seven years, like you said, in China and Taiwan. And um, my question for you is through your work and through the harmony between like this endless positivity and dealing with people who have like this trauma, which I'm also realizing, like, as you say it, I, I think I have like, there's a gradient of trauma, right? But I am clearly experiencing on a day to day basis and a weekly, monthly, yearly basis, more trauma than I realize as you put it that way, where it's like, are you waiting for the shoe to drop? And in, in many areas of life, I'm 
crazy positive and like 2% to 10% of me is waiting for the shoe to drop. So there's clearly some more clearing to do in various life areas for me, which we can get into later. But my question for you right now is, where do you see, if at all, where do you see while you're cultivating this positivity and like seeing the beautiful bug and like saying you love it so much. And I, I love the visual of seeing this like businessman down on the ground, like doing that and just how transformed that is. Where do you see a harmony between cultivating that endless positivity? And it might actually be the same thing, like cultivating endless positivity doesn't mean you're not looking at the suffering. But, you know, when I worked with you, something that I realized and that you helped me realize was that I didn't suffer very well at all. Like I had no, I had no avenue to experience suffering because I had all this positivity. And as soon as you taught me how to experience more suffering, it, it felt like it really changed my dynamic with every relationship in my life in a positive way. People opened up a lot more to me because I opened up more to them. Not dissimilar to what's happening right now is me being like, Hey man, <laughs> let's, let's dig into this. Like, where's the harmony that you've found? Well, I, th I think if we stick with our, our Taoist Eastern philosophy, it, it comes down to resistance. So one of the core summary statements of the philosophy of traditional Chinese medicine, and maybe even the wisdom of all Chinese culture is that when there is resistance to the flow of energy, there will be pain. When there's a free flow of energy and no resistance, there's no pain. So as, as you know, from the work that we did, most of us suck at suffering such that we avoid feeling these emotions that would only take seconds to minutes to fully feel if, if, we, if we were taught how and we're given a safe space. We spent our entire decades of our life compensating and pushing those energies down. But of course, the people we love the most can feel it because it's leaking out. And even in the world of business coaching, and there's no judgment in this, so many of the greatest entrepreneurs have created their business initially out of compensation to not deal with feeling some level of, I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable, I'm not capable. And they said, fuck you, I'm going to show you five master's degrees later, $5 million later, how many businesses later? That's awesome. But there will always be an edge and a side effect of that, whether it's they, their, their, their CEO keeps quitting or they keep getting betrayed in the business. They're not dropping into poverty, but it's not fun because there's a wound that's asking to be healed. And so the, the balance is, first of all, if we cultivate the optimism, the gratitude, the joy, we will have more energy to go into the suffering. But moreover, I think suffering may even be a word that we may need to play with because the truth is, and you can share your experience if it's, if it's authentic for you, I have learned that a crying feels really good. Like getting my hands on my body and finding where my little boy is feeling overwhelmed by my responsibilities, by all, all the all the, all the different moving plates in my life, uh, getting, like, giving that little boy seconds to minutes to cry it out, instantly I'm, I have more capacity, more compassion. Mm. And so I think it comes back to that embracing of simplicity is trusting that those emotions 
have an intelligence. And if you surrender, there's nothing to do with them or to interpret them or to fix them. They're meant to be felt. Mm. And when they're felt, they move through in seconds to minutes and underneath them is greater health, greater immunity, greater insight, greater emotional availability, greater emotional intelligence. But the suppressing of them is where all the pain and disease come in. Now, the, the last piece I just want to say that may be the, the, the central column for the listeners is I, I am not saying to be a heaping mess of emotions at the detriment of your life and responsibilities. I'm saying develop a dojo, a safe place with your brothers, with your sisters, with your, your, your partner. Develop a place where you and get the training to learn how to properly feel something fully so that it can fully be transformed. And the other half of what I teach people is that you can show up at your best no matter what's going on around you if you just learn these six basic skill sets that, are, that I call the gates of power. When you learn practices and you have a full understanding of these six gates, you can always show up at your best. I've gone from anger and rage or, and sadness to leading 300 people on stage in the course of 10 minutes. And I was better because of it, because I wasn't sitting on the loaded gun anymore. I wasn't putting it aside and say, oh, I'll deal with that later. No, I'm like, I got 15 minutes. I can, I can get with this. I got, hmm. I got time to get with this. And the, the biggest thing I notice with this, especially within myself through this whole experience of working with you and realizing that this was me, I was the person that uh, so much positivity, so much optimism, so much beauty in my life, my practices of gratitude, my practices of love and joy were, were really, really high level muscles. Like those muscles were so well-trained, but my practices of experiencing anger and rage and sadness were level one, like a child, <laughs> very, very low level. Those muscles were completely untrained. And as I've allowed those experiences, and I guess I could share like basically my practice after learning from Kai in person and then expanding on this on my own and reading various things about it is allowing myself to breathe, get really present in my body, really feel my body, whether that's through like the dojo practices or an exercise or just walking outside with no music and no podcast and nothing other than me and my body. And as I do that, and then just say, like, what am I really feeling inside? Like, if I just allow all of the feelings to kind of work through me, like, what's really coming through? And if it's anger, Kai has this thing that I've used where it's like yelling into your arm and just like kind of muffling it or a pillow or something and just like allowing that anger to really come through. Sometimes for me, it's like three, four, five, six different screams into these things, right? And it's just pushing that energy and pushing that emotion through the same way <laughs> that's just a funny analogy came up the same way it would be like you've got like you ate something really bad you need to go to the bathroom three four or five times right it's a it's like it's not necessarily great in the moment but immediately afterwards you're like i'm so glad i did that right yeah yeah. Um, same way, like you might feel like you need to have a conversation with like a parent or a sibling or a business partner where it might be a tough conversation and during it is maybe a little patchy and rough, but 
if they feel your heart and they feel your intention and your intention is pure. And when I say pure, I really mean like you want to get through it in a positive way. There, there's no like I'm trying to melt this person. It's like, no, if we really figure this out, it'll be a beautiful outcome. And the more that I've allowed these practices to come through, whether it's like, I just feel like crying, like right now, I feel like crying a little bit, just like experiencing some of that sadness. As soon as we get off this interview, one of the first things I'm going to do is I'm just going to allow, I may not actually have tears, but I will experience that sadness, kind of let that move through. And then you go in front and do whatever you're going to do with your life. And people can feel yeah, that absolutely. either depth that you're experiencing they can really tune into that, that energy, or they can feel that shield and they can feel that wall that you're putting around yourself, not allowing people to feel things as accurately. Right. So. Yeah. And and that, that is the, like the other part of the, the piece of this time on our planet that I am the most stoked on is that our, our ancient wisdom traditions are so accessible so accessible and our modern science is illuminating and verifying and validating and wherever we take it it'll go and in in the case of what you just shared like we have this polyvagal line that runs down the front of our body that deals with uh what's going on in our gut and our tension and the freedom of breath in the belly uh what's going on in the solar plexus and what's going on in our chest and all of that reverberates through our facial expressions, these micro expressions, as well as how our voice sounds. And when we're walking around with unexpressed anger, unexpressed sadness, unexpressed self-judgment, when we're trying to get away from that, people will perceive us as less than trustworthy. And we'll, we will also essentially, on the quantum level, we'll be raising our hands to be betrayed, to be mm. fucked over in certain relationships and or and of course and even in our 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 marriages we will attract someone who is going to in some way give us an opportunity to trigger that wound and get, have an opportunity to heal it and to love through it and to open into it and so with that with all that said the, the only piece I'd want to illuminate I'm a big fan of Joe Dispenza and one of the things that he gave words to is this idea of a think box and a play box. And the think box is when you lay down a model of understanding and the rational mind is fully on board. The monkey mind has a cookie to chew on. And now you can go into the experience of the breath work or the meditation or whatever the personal development is. And you're surrendered because you took the time to get all of you on board. In the case of what you're talking about, if we look at uh, the power versus force work, uh, the, the range or the Abraham Hicks work on the range of emotions, all those lo lower emotions are valuable because they're laddering you up into the, uh, the higher level emotions. And I think that the more well-trained person now spends less time in the repression and avoidance and more time valuing, hey, I'm angry. Let me, there, there's something, there's something to learn here. Let me get with the anger and then let me sit in meditation once that charge is transformed, is gotten with. And then you realize, oh my God, I do have to end this business relationship and I'm going to do it with an open heart. How much money does that cost you? How many burn bridges to, uh, to be unconsciously dealing with that by trying to make more money or, or in whatever way you'll numb and escape from feeling it. And it only took seconds to minutes, but your animal brain doesn't know that your animal brain thinks 
if I'm angry, I'll be judged. If I'm angry, I might hurt somebody. If I'm sad, then I'm hurt. I'm worthless and I'm hopeless and I'm useless. We make up a, that's a mental label on top of a alchemical emotional system. That emotional system requires no labels. Every emotion knows how to move through your body. Your diaphragm pumps, the tears come, the snot runs, you make the noise. By the way, we all have trauma, whether it's lowercase T on the low end or higher, you know, capital T on the high end. And trauma does not understand talk therapy. It understands movement, breath, sound. That's mm. how trauma gets uh, pulled out and untangled from the body. So anyway, I'm sorry, I got on my soapbox there for a second. I love your soapbox. Get on your soapbox as often as you want. So <laughs> I, have a, I have kind of like a funny question for you. When you are interacting with people that you know well, or even strangers, you mentioned that there's all these like subtle cues, right? That people either have that shield up or they have like that water hose open for expressing like the whole range of emotions. So uh, first question is, when you interact with someone like me, who you now know fairly well, in my voice and in my body language, are you like always sort of aware of how open or closed someone is? I think, I think in general, I enjoy being around people who I feel a sense of safety. And that safety comes from the fact that they know themselves. And part of that, that I'll look for, there's an unconscious recognition of it. I'm not really actively analyzing, but it's, I really appreciate people who are self-effacing, who can make jokes about themselves, who don't lead with all their accolades. As soon as someone does that, I have a little, I have a little bit of a, uh, a, a less, I, I'm not, I'm not fully in trust of that person. Hmm. However, there are people who have the most beautiful hearts and they're very isolated and armored and they can't even see themselves how beautiful their hearts are. And those people are really easy to be around because it's so easy for me to coax them out. But when someone is deeply stuck in their mental field, uh, this would be like, a, you might think of a narcissist. Everything's about black and white, right and wrong. It's always about them. It's never, there's never room for your feelings or how they hurt you. They don't want to take any responsibility from that. Um, and they end up, that ends up them being a victim at times and a persecutor other, and they're not available in their heart. Those are people that if I don't have to interact with them, I don't. Hmm. So um, when you said earlier, I, I feel like, cause I know you have to go really soon, but if I could pull one last wisdom out of you on this part one, you said that you love being around those people who have those beautiful hearts, but they have like that, that wall up, but, but it's beautiful underneath and you like to coax them out if we feel like we're in a situation like that with someone like that, what, what are the, what's the strategy that you like to use to start to coax people out when you can feel that? Well, humor, tickling, wrestling, if, it, if that's appropriate, physical, almost anytime we get engaged in our body, especially in a playful way, like tickling or wrestling, that's a powerful tool to get in connected to our heart. I think mostly though, If, you, if your meditation practice is on point, or I'll just own it, if my meditation practice is on point and I have a lot of love for this person, I will just listen and I will ask the questions that, that, that 
are an opening for them to go somewhere they haven't gone before. But I ask it from a place of curiosity and non-attachment. I'm not trying to coach them or fix them or crack them open unless I have permission. But but if I'm curious, sincerely curious, I might start asking them about their childhood or when's the last time you saw your mom, how's she doing? And I start to see how that armor might have gotten formed. And then I'm starting to be able to chink it a little bit. But mostly I'm just trying to bring them into the present moment, into their playfulness. Because honestly, that's what I I, I enjoy the most is play, is just being in play. The, the way that you've conducted the summit, so much play, so much gratitude. It's not that we didn't do work, but, th- but it was in the field of play that we did the work. Mm, so it's a whole so, lot easier to get deep when you're dancing around and being silly. Yeah, it, it is. It is. And it's, and it's easier to go into the darkness when you know the, the light is right there. Mm. Oof, oof, gotta, oof, just drop that quote like it's hot. Oof, that's beautiful. Okay, so before we wrap up here, uh, two questions for you. Number one, because I feel like it's very important, when people fall in love with you and are like, holy crap, how do I get more? from this person like how do they learn more about you where can they go to like follow or contact you if that's okay yeah there there there's a facebook group called the pathway of power dojo even before i met you i had i had a i had a little dojo um but my my on facebook i'm kai van bodhi k-a-i-v-a-n-b-o-d-h-i there is a website pathway of power.com it's o-f of because the practices are the way there's no destination um and that website is currently migrating over to a new version. So it's less reliable at this moment than is uh, Kai Van Bodhi as a Facebook page. And you can send me, shoot me a, a private message. And I'll, I, I check those, you know, the ones that get flagged. I, I still go in there and check those at least a couple of times a week. So. Beautiful. And then is there any message that's really coming through or sitting on your heart right now that you're like, you know, I just feel like for some reason I need to say this thing or teach this thing, or there's some, something that needs to drop that you're really feeling. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that the greatest lesson that we're learning as humanity right now is the ability to truly love ourselves. There's so much teaching in the culture of false love of hustle of get shit done of, of, I, I was just writing some ad copy and we created a new, we created a new term as far as I know called WTF, the when then fallacy. When I ha- make this much money, then I will take better care of myself. When I lose 15 pounds, then I'll love myself. And the reality is the then never comes. The when never comes, the then never comes. We're always pushing it out over the horizon. So what, what, what I would say, and I'm committed to being part of the leadership of this, is I believe we're in a time where healing trauma and building true self-love is the, is the essential lesson of humanity right now. I think it's what a lot of our religious teachers taught that we lost track of and that we got, we got, it got hidden from us, even though it's right there in most of their teachings to love yourself. But who's truly teaching people how to love themselves? And I'm committed to being part of that. And so what I would say to the people is, is figure out how to access self-love, connecting with the inner child inside of you, 
doing something to play every day, giving yourself credit where credit is due, like acknowledging yourself in the mirror. And I, I just recently, I practice a form of mindfulness that I call the three baskets. And it's a, it's a time every day where I focus on my breath and I watch my thoughts and I place my thoughts into one of these three baskets. And one basket is my habituated mind, the, the conditioning that's gotten me uh, into some situations that I probably don't want to be in. It's not going to get me where I want to go. So that's basket one, baskets of thoughts I no longer am willing to believe. Basket two is my brain that is supposed to be out hunting and gathering and making love and swimming and watching the stars for 20 hours a day. Uh, that brain that is now overwhelmed with multitasking and responsibilities as a father, as a coach, as a brother, all the things that I am. It's just trying to give me things that belong on my to-do list that are that it, it knows are not being tracked by one, any of my good systems right now. And so in that case, I open my eyes and I write it down or I put it in my phone. And I go right back to the meditation. And the third basket are those thoughts that you know came from beyond you or they came from the best part of you. And, you know, each day as I listen to those thoughts, it sets me up for success so that in this moment and then the next moment and in the moment that I'm triggered by my wife or I'm triggered by my client, there's a part of me that says, that's not the voice to follow right now. That's, that's, the, that's, that's a basket one voice and you can let that go. Let me take a moment and take a breath with my client. Let me come back into love and compassion. Let me find a question from curiosity. Let me find more, even more love for my wife. And then I'm able to operate from that higher level. What, what I'm sharing, I've shared all that to share this. I've been doing a lot of work on self-love. And I can tell you that more often than not, when I use this meditation technique and I say, I wonder what my next thought will be. And I hear, I love you. Hmm. I love you. And I say to myself, is that, is that authentic? Is that from my soul? Is that like a, is it an intermediate one? Cause I've been reading affirmations and listening to podcasts and studying the neuroscience, or is it a bullshit one from the pirates that's telling me that, but it doesn't really mean it. And more and more, it's just like my baseline is that I really love myself and anyone can get there. Anyone can get there. You know, Brene Brown will get you there. Breathwork could get you there. Louise Hay could get you there. You know, hanging around people that see you for the best in who you are, that'll help get you there. And there's a whole other side. I know I'm taking longer. The other side of this too is when we eat healthy, when we exercise, when we do breath work, when we meditate, when we go in cold water, when we're in nature, we feel more of the chemicals that when, when we, in that moment, after doing all those things and you, you're a person who traditionally doesn't love themselves. And if I could take you through a 45 minute practice and we're out in nature and you got the right supplements on board. And then I say, close your eyes and just try out. I love myself. You say it and the right chemicals are there and boom, you have a new truth about yourself. So we can also work from the body level up. And I love that. I love because we, that we can control. Hmm. So take care of your temple to, to, to be able to, not as a transaction, but just as a priming of it all.
Yeah, as a habituation. Yeah. yeah. So there's two things I'd love to to cherry on top of that. So maybe like a cherry and a strawberry, depending on your vibe. And one of them is that in my own experience of having very well trained muscles of positivity, I have looked at a very different angle of this idea of self love, because self love in this whole fulfillionaire mindset is in the very number one slot is like cultivating self love. And the thing I want to share about is that even I face challenges of self love in certain categories. So for instance, if there's someone listening to this right now, one thing that's really important in self love is when, as an example, I get up in the morning and my first whatever I'm getting up for, whether it's a workout session with a friend or interview, somebody cancels and I decide to like roll over and just lay in bed, even if I can't sleep anymore. There's there is a voice, a 2% voice or even a 20% voice at times that's like, you're going to be lazy like that. That's what you're going to be like. I got to love that voice too, man. I can't I can't just say like, I'm not going to think about that voice. I can't just be positive and say, you know, I'm going to roll over and go back to sleep in spite. I also have to say, you know, that, that voice, that guy really helps me sometimes. Sometimes it's really important that I listen to him and it's important that I can like be critical of myself and I can love that part and I can still stay in bed, but I can't choose to love one or the other because they're both me the part that wants to sleep more and the part that's critical of me, they're both me. One can win and one can like take the main seat for that moment. Um, but I love them both. And then sometimes because I have that love and I can do that in the moment, I can say, you know, critical me is probably right. Actually, I'm feeling like he's probably right right now. And I get out of bed and then I'm happy I did it. But if I sit there and I let them argue back and forth with each other, that is not self-love that is that's a battle that's a storm inside and then the rest won't be good and i'm critical and then it's just this whole thing right so i want to share that is like recognize that the the process to getting to compassion with myself has been an acceptance of all the things of all three baskets like you're saying right it's like no all three of these baskets are me there's the superhuman side of me, the wounded child that I can just continue to love. There's the side of me that's doing all the right things. And then there's the side of me that's divine. And they're all me. All three of those are me, right? So that's that's something I'd like to share. And then what was that second thing? I just want to review for people. Like you said, body, breath, and sound. You know, two seconds of courage. Like you were saying, it's like, to go and do some movement, to go and do some exercise, to choose to eat something that you know is good for you. These things can be tough to do in the moment, especially if you're listening to that critical voice or you're down on yourself or there's other people externally that are down on you and you are surrounded by people that make it tougher to be self-loving, that it just takes two seconds. It literally, the two seconds to start the thing, to go and do your uh, barbell swings in your studio and to like take that breath with your client. Sometimes you probably don't wanna take that time out of the session, but you're like, you know what? It's gonna take me two seconds to tell them to stand up and we're gonna do this breath work together. And 30 seconds later, you're like, wow, that was so much better of a session because I took that two seconds of courage to make that thing happen. So two seconds of courage and you got to love all the parts of yourself. doesn't mean you have to change what you're doing, but you got to say, Hey, that's me too. Mm. Yeah. 
love that. Anyways, I'm so honored. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Part two is coming soon. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for just dropping all the heat and all the wisdom. There's so many segments of this that were so beautiful and I'm surprised it went by so quickly because it's just such a flow state speaking with you and I'm so excited and uh, I hope lots of people get inspired and um, feel free to reach out to, to Kai. I hope they do. Yeah. We'll start our, maybe we can start the next one with some, some MBA breath work. We'll start that on yes. the next one. So people have something to look forward to. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So we dropped the, we dropped the heat on the four Taoist principles this time, and we can drop the heat on Kai's custom made MBA breath work on the next one and maybe open it up. We'll get some journaling going during it. It'll be beautiful. Love it. Thank yeah, you. Thank you so much, guys. Likewise. I'm living my best life. Sometimes this sucks to tell the truth and I took it hard like people do, but I'm learning how.